not when he was walking on water or you know feeding the five thousand, but when he came in disguise as someone that was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, and naked. And you think, wow, how we treat other people, how we treat the vulnerable, is the indicator of whether we're really in the kingdom or not. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Kat and Chris. Hey. Hello. And we also have a very special guest, Lizzie is joining us today. How are you Lizzie? I'm good, thank you, yeah. So you guys might recognise Lizzie's voice from some stuff she's been doing for us on Instagram. Um, but she's part of the We Are Tear Fun community and she's been helping us out with little bits of, of content. Uh, and so we thought we'd invite her this morning to be part of the Together podcast, which is the pinnacle of everything that we do, right? Yeah, for I mean, sure. I'm retiring as soon as like as soon as this episode's done. I'm retiring. What else do I need to live? Exactly, for? exactly. Great. So uh, today on this episode, we'll be hearing from the founding director of Home for Good, Krish Kandaya. His charity aims to find a loving home for every child in the care system. So Krish spoke to us about the biblical call to hospitality and why he thinks orphanages should be abolished. But before we hear from him, it's time for cat's questions. Yeah, um, I'm so nervous. <laughs> we Why? had some com- we had some complaints about the question last week. Um, so, as an internal hearing, <laughs> I feel like I've got um, even more pressure now to uh, make this great. What were the complaints, um, Yeah. Um, I don't know, Dan. Um, why don't you let us know? Because it was from you. <laughs> I was just wondering um, if we're having another tea-based one today. Or... <laughs> Anyways, um, so today's question is around beaches. So I went to the beach on Sunday, on Saturday, which was great. It was fun. And this question was actually asked by our listener, Lucy. And they asked, what do you prefer, a stony beach or a sandy beach? That's a good. That's a solid. A solid question there. Mm. I have strong opinions about this. So I'm excited to hear yours. I mean, I'll, I'm going to throw my hat in for a sandy beach. Like, why would I, why would I want like uneven ground <laughs> affecting mm. my the soles of my beautiful feet? <laughs> I, I 100% relate to that. So I I live in Eastbourne, so I'm lucky enough to live by the beach. Um, it is a stone beach, a pebble beach. And for the same reason, Chris, I'm going to say I prefer sand, because really? why would yeah why would somebody mm. why would somebody choose to walk over pebbles barefoot, which is the equivalent mm. of of walking over like a hundred meters of Lego? Um, <laughs> like why why would why would somebody find that an appealing concept? I mean, I love the beach. We have beach days all the time, but the the pain is real. <laughs> so I'm going to go for sand. Wow. Lizzie, what do you think? Do you know what? I'm actually quite conflicted because I'll tell you what, I live in Brighton, similar to Dan, um, but like the cool area of the South Coast. Um... <laughs> hey, 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 Eastbourne. Shots fired. Eastbourne is the coolest place for the over 60s. So... The over 60s, <laughs> not all, the um, under 60s. You fit relative. right in then. You fit right <laughs> in then, Dan. I do. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like when you have the stones, you have so much more like, like or less administration. You know, when you've got the sand, you've got to get it out of literally everything you take with you to the beach. Um, mm. So stones are just like the easy option, really. 
even if they are a bit peak. I would yeah. actually agree. I hate sand. It's um, it's one of the things that I will question what, what a thing God. to hate. <laughs> I generally, I, I hate it. I don't know why it's been created. I will question God about this um, when I get to heaven. But I just can't stand it. It gets everywhere. It's in your hair for about a month after mm. you've been to the beach. It's... That's the way you got to wash your hair, Kat. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't get it out, though. You have to wash it so many times for the sand to get out. Um, it's just mm. not fun. It's not fun. So I'm going to go for stones. This is interesting. I, I want to know if this is like, is this a gender split thing? Like, because me and Dan have both gone sand and mm. you two have both mm. gone <laughs> pebbles. I wonder if this like... Is this yeah. like a microcosm of the entire entire world? Does maybe, everyone think this way? Maybe the soles of men's feet are much more delicate. <laughs> and so the, stone, the stony option just appears so much worse than us. I mean, your hatred for, for sand, I think, is a little too far. But there are those moments when you have like a picnic on the beach and then you're just kind of biting into a sandwich and then you realise there's a bit of sand in it. That's, oh, probably, yeah. that's probably up there with walking over jagged stones in in yeah um, that's literally what i was thinking in my mind right now like (laughs) having eaten something and it's just oh and then i feel like you still find it in places like it's in your bag for another month Mm. like it's if you have a phone case it's always like inside your phone case and just not it's just not the one Sand is like the natural glitter of the world. (laughs) As soon as you open that tub, it's everywhere. That's the deepest thing I've heard today. (laughs) (laughs) We need to test that gender divide there, Kat, maybe on Insta stories, sand or or pebbles, and just see if you do a poll, what comes out on both sides. But guys, let us know. Visit We Are Tear Fund on Instagram. If we can find someone who hates sand as much as Kat... (laughs) <laughs> I think that would be interesting let's see what we can do thank you Kat for this week's questions so if you are listening at home and you want to submit your own question or give us your feedback about beaches then do head to We Are Tear Fund on Instagram and leave us a message but now let's listen to the interview with Krish my name is Krish Kandaya and I'm the founding director of a charity called Home for Good which seeks to find a loving home for every child in the care system. That's a beautiful message, one that I really like resonate with as a former youth worker. Oh, great. I've seen a lot of children who come through the care system. How did you end up in this direction? Well, my wife and I, we had three children in three years, and I wow. thought I'd kind of <laughs> contributed to population growth, and uh, that was it. And uh, my wife has just the biggest compassionate heart and felt called that we had more love to give to kids that needed it. I was a little bit slow on the uptake, but Mm. some friends of ours in their 60s became foster carers. And also, genuinely, it was reading the Bible, that Mm. God has so much to say about vulnerable people. And particularly, when you read it in the Bible's language, it talks about the orphan and the widow. Um, And the word orphan in the Old Testament really means a child not able to live under the care of their father, mm. um, just because of a patriarchal society, that if you didn't have a father in your life, you were incredibly vulnerable. There was no social services. There was no care system. And so um, my translation of what that means today is kids that can't live with their birth families. Mm. Uh, and in the UK, that's normally because of neglect or abuse. 
and therefore they need an alternative family to live with. So I was convinced. It took. I was slow on the uptake compared to my wife, but yeah. I was convinced in the end, and we've been fostering and adopting now for 14 years. Yeah. So you talk about kind of this biblical, like, mandate of it, really. Is that something that you connected to, I guess, did you already have an understanding of, like, a theology of justice? Yeah, well, that's interesting. I, I should have done. I was teaching theology at a Anglican Theological College in Oxford. Um, my focus was mainly evangelism and apologetics, mm. and mission. And to be honest, it was the experience of becoming a foster parent and an adoptive parent that enlarged my understanding of justice. Mm. I'd often considered justice to be something that you did kind of on the side. You know, evangelism is really important and justice, well, it kind of matters a little bit and it's good to give a percentage of your time or your energy to doing it. But the more we got into it and the more that opened up, the Bible for us, you know how it often happens that way, isn't it? Mm. That your experience helps you to see things that you hadn't seen in the Bible before. Mm. Um, and I then began to realise that actually seeking justice is an essential part of the Christian faith mm. and not just a bolt-on extra, not just an also-ran with evangelism, but part of what God's calling is for all of us. Yeah, And that really changed things for me. Amazing. I saw in your TED Talk you posed the question, can hospitality change the world? What's the answer? <laughs> <laughs> Short answer is yes. So my TED Talk was designed uh, primarily for a secular audience, actually, showing mm. how in a kind of more polarised world, you know, we're living with people that are really excited that Britain has left the European Union, mm. people are really devastated that Britain has left the European Union, mm. or you look in America and it's, you know, are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump? And there's very little in between. Mm hospitality opens up another space mm. where you can be welcomed whoever you are whatever your beliefs whatever you've done and it's as we welcome people into our lives we build empathy and empathy means that we understand where other people are coming mm. from and that allows conversation and and we model another way of being but from a christian perspective i think it's even more profound um so many times in the bible i wrote a book about this called god is stranger so many times in the bible god turns up unannounced and Mm. in disguise so think of the classic time when abraham is in his tent and three visitors come yeah and abraham's begging them to come inside the tent Mm. and he says oh just a morsel of food and a little bit of drink and you know just just do me the honor of coming in and, and being my guest and as far as we can tell from the bible passage in genesis abraham didn't really know who these visitors were Mm. and he treats them like royalty as soon as they say yes He's killed a calf, which is a lot of meat for, you know, free people. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's lavished uh, everything he can is open and available for them. And so later on, it becomes clear that this is a manifestation of God. Yeah. You know, whether it's God the Trinity turning up as three people or, or it's God and two angels is unclear as well. Mm. But Abraham did not need to be embarrassed about how he treated God because mm. every visitor in his house he treated as royalty or mm. even divinity in some way. And that idea is not just there in Genesis 18. It's, it's woven throughout the Bible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the clearest ways that gets worked out is in Matthew 25, when Jesus says the determining factor of whether we are in the kingdom or not is how we responded to Jesus. Mm. Not when he came in all his glory, not when he was walking on water or, you know, feeding the 5,000, yeah. but when he came in disguise as someone that was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, and naked. And you think, 
wow, how we treat other people, how we treat the vulnerable is the indicator of whether we're really in the kingdom or not. Yeah. So this isn't a bolt-on extra for certain people. Hospitality is the defining feature of what it means to be Christian, says mm. Jesus. And I find that really challenging. Uh, what, it is a big challenge, and I see the church continually ha- having to rise to that challenge. And, yeah. of course, like some churches are doing great in that area or different areas, whatever. What's the obstructions to... Like having this this great sense of hospitality in the church. Yeah. Well, the short answer is xenophobia. Xenophobia means fear of the stranger. Mm. And we've built that up. You know, politically, we've built it up. There's a whole massive question about immigration, about who is welcome and who isn't. Mm. There was a lady on Question Time saying we should ban all immigration completely. Do we really want these people, you know, who don't speak our language, don't share our cultures here draining away all the resources. Mm. And you know, that's the complete opposite of the Bible's idea. We're supposed to love the stranger. You could yeah. call it xenophilia rather than xenophobia. Mm. Um, and that's the bit that's supposed to mark us out. And, you know, we instill it in children from young, you know, stranger danger we talk about. Yeah, yeah. And the sad thing is, statistically, you're more likely to be abused or hurt by someone you know. Mm. Um, and that's... You know, we've got to figure out about how we are responsible as adults and yeah. we help children to be appropriate with other adults. But if we create this culture where the stranger, the other, is to be feared and um, rejected, this is the absolute counter to what the Bible's asking us to do. Mm. So I think, I think, you know, for me, why didn't I want to do fostering and adoption is because I'd problematise kids in care. They were troublemakers, they were difficult, they were just not worth the hassle, they were a burden. And instead I need to be able to see the other person as precious, they've got intrinsic value, dignity Mm. and worth. The other person is a God's gift to us, a gift to be celebrated and received. That's great. How, How do we do that with a global perspective? When I think of hospitality, it feels yeah. very much like welcome in. Yes. But if you're in the other side of the world, <laughs> how am I going to be hospitable to yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's an important question. I, I think sometimes when people think about justice, they only mean somewhere around the world, mm. somewhere where I don't really have to get my hands dirty, somewhere I can just chuck money at a problem, mm. and that's the solution. And I, I think that can just be a way of excusing ourselves from doing anything. Mm. You know, at one level the parable of the um, the Good Samaritan, you've got these guys who are on their way back from uh, Jerusalem where they've been doing the religious service, but there's no grace in them to show mercy to someone they actually come across. Mm. So what, what kind of religion is that, says Jesus? Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think there's, there's two bits to this. I think there has always got to be a local manifestation. You know, Jesus' comment, I was a stranger, I was hungry, I was thirsty. What did you do? You welcomed me in, mm. right? You provided for me. That's that sounds less like institutional and structural change. Yeah, that sounds very personal. Yeah, you don't have to be educated. You don't have to go to university to be able to do that. You don't have to be wealthy to do that. You don't even have to own your own home to do those things. Mm-hmm. This is an incredibly open thing that any of us could do. Yeah, if we've got some food, if we've got some shelter, if we've got some drink, those are things that we can share with other people. So it's yeah. incredibly open. You know, all of us yeah. can do that. But I think when it comes to the global, and I'm passionate about the global, sometimes our approach has been, I know the solution to the problem that you've got, mm. and I've just got to come in, drop my solution on you, and then I'll run away again. 
and and it, it's almost like a um it's funny we use the word mission when we go um and get involved in a military conflict those mm. are also called missions you know we'll go and yeah. drop our bombs on people yeah. and then fly back home again and sometimes we do that with aid you know we're going to drop our aid on you mm. never mind it's not what you want i had friends that were sending stuff to the calais jungle when um the refugee crisis was at its height People were just taking whatever was in their lofts and attics yeah. and dumping it in Calais. So people were sending wedding dresses and, you know, records. And, you know, hang on, most of these are kind of teenage boys, you know, aged somewhere between 16 and 19. Mm. Why do they need your old wedding dress? That's just not appropriate help. Yeah. So I think hospitality just means, in a global context, having the space to hear what people actually want and need and allowing them to be part of the solution rather than mm. me dumping my solution on you yeah that's incredible i think and it's really it's really encouraging because obviously speaking to people like yourself and you know we at a justice conference so many people doing great things here yeah and you know i'm talking to you lot and being like okay well wow, how like you're doing a lot what can i do and that actually like you said everyone can do this it's not you don't have to be a homeowner you don't have to no. fly every, over the sea overseas do or whatever you can, where you you can, yeah exactly and so in where you are how do you how do you navigate, you know, hearing what people need yeah. as opposed to giving them what you want them to have? Yeah. Well, I mean, a big part of my work now is trying to help Christians rethink their support of orphanages. So, again, well-meaning people think, I know what, I'll go and spend my summer playing with orphans in an orphanage in you mm. know, Africa or South America or somewhere. And you go, well, that sounds like what you need to do rather than what they need to receive. Mm. I met a lad from Thailand uh, he was deaf and living in an orphanage not because as far as I could work out he'd lost his parents but because his disability stigmatised him mm. so um, the orphanage was actually accelerating him being separated from his family and I heard that he'd had 500 different people visit him oh in the orphanage Wow! and look he's already dealing with the trauma of not living with his family he's living with the trauma of um, rejection yeah. and the broken attachment that that brings and then someone pops up one day plays with him for an afternoon and then pops off again yeah like that person going to help probably felt really good about it made him smile whatever mm-hmm. but actually your helping hurt him mm. it it gave him another broken relationship another rejection mm. 500 times that happened yeah and so you know part of us is thinking okay look let's put ourselves in the in the shoes of the people we're trying to help, what do they really need? Mm. Am I actually disempowering them by going and, and helping? Yeah. What is the way that I can actually empower them rather than disempower them? Mm. Those are the questions we need to ask. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I guess on that same subject, what have you learned from people? You know, I think a lot of the time, like you said, it's very much, I'm going yeah. to help you. But have you felt like you've been helped yourself? Oh, definitely. I think, I don't know, there's a, there was a little lad that came to live with us. He he was a refugee to the UK. Um, he'd been in a really horrific kind of domestic violence situation. His dad was in prison because of what had happened. His mum was living in a women's refuge. And I was expecting him to be really withdrawn and, you know, just... I was expecting it to be difficult. Mm. And, you know, he arrives, he gets dropped, dropped off at our house and he's just 
full of life and energy mm-hmm. and uh, decides he wants to teach me all the moves <laughs> and all the words to moves like Jagger by Maroon 5. <laughs> <laughs> and apart from hopefully increasing my dad dancing <laughs> to be a little bit cool, I'm not sure it is, um, just the, the willingness to be able to hear where he's coming from, that, that you know what he's been through and yet still having resilience, a zest for life. You know, I'm in awe of a little boy that could do that when often I get really annoyed with something that's happened at work or something mm. that's going on. It's, I catastrophize it and suddenly my life's rubbish. I'm going, hang on, this lad's got a very different approach to life. Mm. I, I need to learn from that. How do I get that same kind of yeah. joy and excitement and passion even in the middle of rubbish that's going on? Yeah, that's very good. You describe yourself as an entrepreneurial leader. Uh, could you just expand on what that means and how that plays into the work that you do? Yeah, well, it's a long word, isn't it? The, um, <laughs> I guess I, I'm quite ideas-focused, creativity-focused. Mm. I like trying to solve problems. I like trying to figure out how particularly the, the church and the wider faith community can bring all the skills and gifts they've got to serve national uh, problems. Mm. Um, so a lot of the work that I do at Home for Good is trying to work with the government, whichever party that ends up being. Mm-hmm. Government's got, in the end, the kind of corporate parenting responsibility for every child in the care system. Yeah. And I feel as a Christian and as a member of the church that we've been given a mandate and a call to care for vulnerable children. Mm. So our calling as a church should make us better citizens yeah. to help the government with their responsibility. Yeah. And if I can help design a better way of doing that, mm. then that's hopefully me being a social entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and it's been exciting. Yeah, we're in the middle of a big project at the moment where no one's done this before. We, you know, we've, we've got a, a philanthropist from Boston <laughs> who's sponsoring our work in the UK to help the government find um, carers for unaccompanied time-seeking children. Mm. And we've designed a programme where the... the US sponsor is paying for the recruitment, which is Home for Good's job, yeah. the assessment, which is the local authority's job, um, and the support beyond placement. Mm. And no one's ever done that before. No one's ever brought in external philanthropy, local uh, government, and a faith community yeah. together to solve a problem like this. Mm. And if we crack it, we've got, we've got 20 spaces. If we can find 20 new carers, then we know that other groups are looking on, including you know government departments, saying, "Well, look what you did for twenty. Yeah. Could you scale that?" Yeah. And so I'm going. That's brilliant, isn't it? We get to be doing what God called us to do, doing what our nation needs, and helping vulnerable children. Everyone wins out of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you talk about it because it has that pioneering edge, but also it sounds, when you describe it how you just did, it also doesn't sound like rocket science. It no. sounds very much like, well, you're good at this, you're good at this, I'm good at this, so let's just work together. Yeah, yeah. How important is collaboration for you? Oh, it is really important. So often, particularly the church, we feel we've got to replicate what already exists mm. rather than collaborate. So, I don't know, we're often running parallel systems. You know, I don't know, rather than get involved with mainstream media, sometimes Christians feel like we've got to create our own media. Mm. Um, or, I don't know, we, a friend of mine, Andy Crouch, describes our approach to culture is often that we copy the culture. So 
there's YouTube and then there was GodTube. You know, <laughs> yeah. Really? You know, why, why couldn't you just contribute better to YouTube mm. and then bring the Christian presence there? Do you yeah. really need to do a kind of separate ghettoized approach to what we're doing? Why don't we bring our best into the wider sphere? Mm. So I think collaboration has it's got a really good opportunity. We're not doubling up. We're not wasting resources. We're not hiding our lamp under a bushel, as Jesus would say. Yeah. Being salt and light in the community, and mm. the community is blessed, and God is honoured. And as someone listening who's hearing this tonight, yeah, I think I have a bit of those entrepreneurial skills within me. I, I like to work with others. What advice would you give them in that journey? Oh, give me a shout! Looking for more people like you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. Um, and before we started Home Figure, we spent a long time in research. If anyone is, was out there already doing the fostering and adoption and the church piece. We didn't want to start a new organisation. Mm. Like, why reinvent the wheel? We could have collaborated. So I would have a look, you know, if if you think you've got a great idea, look to see if anyone else has done it already mm. um, and, and see if you can work with them. Um, if you've got an idea for a new charity, well, I think probably there's too many charities. Mm. Just have a look to see in case there's someone out there that you could partner with or work it or join mm. and bring that idea with you. Because um, actually, it's a lot of hassle setting up a charity, and if we end up with loads of charities all doing the same stuff, that's actually a waste of resource. Yeah. We've all got to fundraise, we've all got to have HR policies, we've all got to have offices or whatever it is. And you mm. think if you don't need to create it, don't. Yeah. So I think do the research first, find out who's out there, try and get someone else to do it, and if they went, won't, and you think you've got something else that's unique, then maybe that's the time to get. So it was great to hear from Krish there. Guys, what points stood out to you most? Uh, yeah, I, I loved when he was talking about um, Matthew 25 and actually sharing on what it actually means for us to follow Jesus and actually our, our response to Jesus isn't the only and the most important thing that we can do but actually it's our response to the most vulnerable and how we treat them so it's speaking about you know people would treat Jesus in a different light but what would they do if they saw Jesus they didn't know that it was Jesus on the on the ground injured and um, I guess talking about the whole um, story of the Samaritan and what would you do in that situation you know and I think it goes into another point that he mentioned is that hospitality is should be within us as Christians that we you know we should be the ones out there we should be the ones be inviting people in but also really looking for what people need rather than us giving a one-size-fits-all solution because I think part of the hospitality is to welcome that in rather than give this thing that I think is the best for you but actually no it's like it's a community sense right like I feel for me hospitality is a community so if we're a community then we want we care about the other person that we're inviting in and so we want to know what their greatest need is well I think this is such a like cool interview to do especially in light of so many conversations coming up recently about like white saving mentality and a colonial mindset and yeah, as to whether what we're doing is actually helpful for both the people and the planet in the long term. Um, interestingly, I've been reading a really good book recently called When Helping Hurts. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Yeah. Have you? Have you read it? I have read like half of it. 
Do you say it is a meaty volume? Like it kind of took it out of me, like physically and emotionally. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting. Like the whole strapline of it is like good intentions are not good enough. And I think in terms of like the charity development sector, we sometimes think that like good intentions are enough because they are what we feel like we're capable and we have the capacity to give. And we don't often look to the long term as to whether. People actually benefiting from this, or whether our own reputation, our status as a charity organisation, is potentially benefiting more. So, I guess from a personal perspective, I did the classic like gap year thing before I went to university, and I, looking back, did some things that I wouldn't now do because I have that kind of mindset of this isn't actually good in the long term. Like Chris mentioned, doing like orphanages and stuff. So yeah, I think good intentions are great, but. Genuinely, they're not enough to go on, and you need some kind of firm foundations as to why you're doing it, who you're doing it for, and who's going to benefit in the long run. And I think, in terms of our like Western perspectives, we think that things can happen really quickly because we're used to such a consumerist culture, and everything is on tap basically. But in other cultures, life doesn't work like that. It takes years, if not decades, to make actual living change. And I think we have to reframe our mindsets in terms of. We're potentially we're going to be a part of the solution, but we might be very minimal or short term. Whereas the people that are actually going to bring about change are the people that are there for the long haul. And yeah, it's a privilege to be a part of it, but we need to take the attention off ourselves and onto the people that are going to make the long term change. For sure, and I think that kind of speaks into a bit about what you're saying about <clears throat>、uh, what you're saying about kind of finding、uh, charities and services and stuff that already exist. Versus,、mm. like you having to feel like you have to create something new all the time,、uh, and maybe actually the better thing, like you said, is to see who is in that in that community who's already doing that work and collaborate with them. And I think, yeah, yeah the the process of collaboration is like very underrated, especially in like in this sort of like twenty twenty like mentality of like everyone's got your own side hustle or whatever. Or,、mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everyone's got something that they're doing themselves. Yeah,、But、sure. Actually, it can be something that we can share with other people and that we can get involved with and build community and build vision together. Great, loads of really good points to think about there. So thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back again on the third of August with another episode. If you like what you hear today, then make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at We Are Tear Fund. 